please open your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 21 through 36. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 894. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where am I going? You cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where am I going? You cannot come. He said to them, you are, for, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the, about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered, answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Almighty God, as you have promised that everyone who is truly Jesus' disciple, that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free and they will be free indeed. So we hang upon that promise as your word, the truth, is proclaimed. The truth that is embodied in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as He is proclaimed, I pray that we would experience that true freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. For several weeks we've been working our way through aspects of Jesus' very intense uh, sermon in the city of Jerusalem. I personally believe, and I'm up to be corrected on this, but I personally believe that this sermon began in chapter 7, verse 37, where Jesus cried out on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
And that started this sermon. And in the middle of this sermon, there was some interaction from the people. Um, I'm glad that typically there's not a whole lot of interaction from the people here. I don't know that I would be able to, I know that I would not be able to respond uh, on my feet like Jesus. But uh, he has some interaction. And as he's going, it becomes more and more intense. Uh, In this sermon, he had uh, used some metaphors. He referred to himself as the living water in verses 37 and 38. As the sermon progressed, he called himself the light of the world in chapter 8, verse 12. And it was not unusual for Jesus to use figures of speech. Uh, He would use metaphors. He also used aphorisms and similes and illustrations. Most famously in his sermons, he would use parables. But when we come to our passage for this morning, John 8, verses 21 through 36, Jesus largely stopped using the colorful figures of speech uh, and began to speak very plainly, very directly to the people who were gathered around Him. And Jesus spoke very confrontationally to His hearers. And so as I've been reading this passage and uh, mulling over it and thinking about it this week, I began to realize that I will not have been faithful in preaching this passage if I don't follow Jesus' lead. And so my plan this morning is to be as direct and as plain as Jesus is to His hearers. Um... So, uh, I'll limit my illustrations or or any kind of stories because I want to communicate um, this passage, this message that Jesus has uh, for us that He preached 2,000 years ago. I'm a little nervous about this approach. I'm worried that I'll come off more as a theological lecturer than a preacher. Since I've said that, that's off my chest. We'll see how that goes. And we're just going to dive in. We're going to dive in, however, from the bottom and work our way up. Uh, So we'll look at verses 31 through 36 and then move our way forward. Because what Jesus is doing, it becomes clear in verses 31 through 36, is there are two types of people in the world. And I want us to move forward from this point of view, from Jesus' point of view. There are people who are enslaved in their sin, and then there are people who have been set free from their slavery to sin. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, except for the Lord Jesus, every person who has been in this world has started off over here in slave... Sorry, no offense for everybody here and everybody up in the, the balcony. Everybody is enslaved in sin. But then, because of, the, because of God's love, because He loves sinners so much that He sent His Son into the world to save sinners... Some 
a great many, a multitude that no one could count, the Bible says. But some, compared to the great multitude and mass of humanity, have been set free from their enslavement to sin. So I want to move forward from that point of view. And um, he makes those two groups clear from verses uh, in 31 through 36. And I want to look at this first issue. The first major point that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you were to look on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that I have an ambitious outline this morning. And it may be helpful to, to have there as I plan on uh, moving uh, rapidly through these different points. Uh, in verse 34, Jesus says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The Bible teaches that everybody practices sin. Um, we sin because we're sinners. We practice sin to speak very plainly because it is our nature to sin. Now, if I were to go out on um, the corner of, of Parsons and, and State Road 60 and, be, and had a big bullhorn and began saying this, that we sin because we are sinners. We practice sin because it's our nature to sin. Um, people would not appreciate it uh, very much. But it is our job to proclaim it. It's a lot easier, I will say, to pro proclaim it within the walls of a church. But we are to proclaim the truth about mankind in order that we might know our need, in order that we might know the great grace that Jesus Christ has for us who were born as sinners. What Jesus is saying, and what the Bible consistently says, is that it is our nature to sin. It means that our souls are evil. It means that our wills are not naturally inclined to goodness. It means that something inside us exercises control over us. The doctrine of original sin is not a popular doctrine. And it was equally unpopular to those to whom Jesus was preaching. So let me ask you, how do you feel about this doctrine? Do you believe it applies to you? Or are you like Jesus' hearers and reject it? Sin acts as a slave master, Jesus is saying in verse 34. Also, verse 31 and 32, He implies it. Um, it, it he, he's basically saying that sin... Uh, pulls you around uh, and back toward acts of evil. A person's not going to be as evil as they could be, but they are not free to be as good as they wish to be. Try as people might, sin cannot be managed or reduced down to manageable proportions. C.H. Spurgeon says that sin is sovereign until sovereign grace dethrones it. The prophet Jeremiah 
in talking about the human heart, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it. You would think that because this is a universal problem, that more people would be able to see sinfulness in themselves and recognize their bondage to it. I mean, which of us, who of us, is able to do all the good things we want to do? Who among us is able to avoid all the evil that we want to avoid? It is a universal problem. But because it is so all-encompassing, I think we become desensitized to it. Or because it is so big a problem that we're not able to stand back and see it for what it is. It becomes part of our quote-unquote normal experience. It's much like the alcoholic who is ruining his life and destroying those around him but is unable to fully perceive how messed up his life really is. And so that is um, somewhat like the way we, we view ourselves. We, we don't, we're just not able to, to view ourselves as accurately as the Bible says. And so we need the Bible to tell us who we really are. And I've said on many occasions that when I became a Christian, I learned two things. One, I learned who God was. Secondly, I learned who I was. And I found that who I, who I was uh, was nothing that would be able... I would not be able to recommend myself to God. Um, Jesus... Uh, it goes on and says that everyone who is enslaved to sin does not have a relationship with God. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. In other words, he's saying everyone who's enslaved to sin does not have a relationship with God. And this, there's this idea out there that's popular today that, that says as long as you believe a set of propositional Truths. If you believe that you're a sinner, you believe Jesus died for your sins, you just believe these propositional truths, well then you're saved and you've become a child of God. The Jews thought they were children of God because of their DNA. Well, we're, we're children of God because we're descendants of Abraham. And we have these religious duties that we are faithful to, to carry out. But let me ask you, how does believing simply a set of facts or how does any kind of religious performance change the nature of your heart? A person's heart is not changed by virtue of your descendants, not, virtue, not by virtue of outward religious performance, God alone changes a person's heart. God alone sets a person free from their enslavement to sin. And He does it personally and relationally. 
So is your faith centered on just a set of propositional facts? Or is it centered in loving and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? The reason I go on about the propositional facts is I've I've known so many people that have read a gospel tract. They checked off the boxes. They prayed the prayer. And it's like they took the little gospel tract with their little checked off boxes, put it in their wallet, and they're saving it for the day when they stand before God. And God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, look, I prayed the prayer on this day when their heart was never changed. God changes a person through the relationship He has with the person. He changes the person. The the relationship with God is covenantal. It's personal. Next, everyone enslaved to sin lacks understanding of spiritual things. And so... A person is enslaved to sin, lives in a world that is that uh, where sin is the universal problem, and then to compound the matters, they lack understanding of spiritual things. And so verse 27, Jesus says to the people, they did not understand that He had been talking to them about the Father. Well, He had been clear. He's been clear for... For all these verses up to this point, talking about God the Father, and they still can't get it. The reason is, they are blind spiritually. They are blinded by their sin. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Next, everyone enslaved to sin will be judged and found guilty. Uh, Verse 26. And I hope... I'm a little worried. Are you able to follow me? What I'm doing is I'm going back. Jesus built His case to say... Here's why you are dead in your sins. Here's why you are enslaved to sin. I'm going back and giving those reasons. And so, verse 26, Jesus says, I have much to say about about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. And so He's saying to them, I have much to judge, and He's about them. I have much to say about you and I have much to judge uh, about you, he's saying. The vast majority of the population of this world is wandering through this life in spiritual ignorance because they cannot understand because they are enslaved to sin. And as they wander through life, They fall off into eternity, into the hands of God, and have to stand before God and be judged because of their sins. That is the thought. Too awesome, too awful to really comprehend. Hebrews 9.27 
says that we are destined to die once and then face the judgment. Can you imagine standing before God, being judged by Him, and not having the righteousness of Jesus Christ to clothe you? Not having the righteousness and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to wash your sins away? The Bible says that people will be calling for the rocks to come and crush them. I can understand that. And so this is what Jesus is telling them in verse 8.20. He says, I have much to say to you. And I am going to judge you. Listen to me. Also in verse 26, Jesus said, Everyone enslaved to sin um, is of this world. Again, verse 26, I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. I, de to de I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Um, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I, don't, I, I mistyped. Verse 23, where he says, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And so here Jesus is saying, you're of this world to His people. In other words, the world has an attraction to the people that He's speaking to. It pulls them to things that will not last beyond death. Things that have no eternal value are most valuable and important to them. And so Jesus is saying, take an accurate look at yourself. Are you of the world? John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Are you, of this, are you of this world? And what he means by this is, is your orientation to life, worldliness, or is your orientation to life, God? Also in verse 23, um, he said, You are below, from below. I am from above. We're going to go into great detail next week what he meant by uh, being from below uh, when we get to John 8.44. In John 8.44, Jesus said to these same people who are listening to him as he's continuing to bear down and, and very plainly tell them about the, the precariousness and the... the uh, the wretchedness of their position. In John 8.44, he says, you are, you are of your father the devil, and, hit, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I believe this, I, I believe this is what Jesus means when he told the Jews that they were from below. And here they are thinking, 
that they are children of Abraham. They, they are the light of the world. He says, you're children of the devil. And then also, everyone enslaved to sin cannot have a relationship with God. I've already said earlier that um, they do not... Well, verse 21 says everyone who is enslaved to sin cannot have a relationship with God. So he said to them again, verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Without having a relationship with Jesus Christ, a person cannot have a relationship with God. See, what God does in sending Jesus Christ and then having Him die on the cross and then He was raised from the dead, He's seated at the right hand of the Father and He sent His Spirit out and His Spirit changes you. I've said this a hundred times from this pulpit. There are, Jesus not only does something for you in paying for your sins and giving you His righteousness, He also does something in you. He changes you. He regenerates you. He makes you a new person. He takes your spiritually dead heart and rips it out and gives you a new heart that loves God. He does something for you. Justification. He does something in you. Regeneration. Sanctification. He makes you acceptable then to be in His presence in every way. Without Jesus doing this in your heart, you cannot have a relationship with God. And then finally, um, for the first point, and I'll be very quick on the second uh, major point, uh, everyone enslaved to sin will die in their sin. Verse 21 and also verse 24. He said to them again, verse 21, I am going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sin. Verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Can He be any more plain? I pause simply because we all have to stand before God one day. It is my earnest plea, it is my earnest prayer to God that none of us would die in our sins. And then the second major point, everyone who is, who is truly a disciple of Christ will be set free. He implied in verses 31 and 32 that they needed to be set free. In other words, they are slaves. But he's saying that everyone who is truly a disciple of Christ will be set free. Look at verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And everyone who is set free by Christ, look at verse 36, they will be free indeed. Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. True freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. And I've known several people in my Christian walk who 
in many ways, and in, in many, many ways, have a what looks like a solid confession of Christ, and look to be Christians. And I have no reason to doubt that they would be Christians. But they've also allowed themselves to get caught. And what I mean by caught is to return back to practices that were part of their former life. And although they made a good start, they flounder. Christ calls His people to be free indeed. He promises His people that that is their possession. Freedom indeed. What I mean by people that I've known who are caught... Um, there was a, a student in seminary, and uh, he was, in many respects, a, a very sharp student. And then all of a sudden, he just stopped doing his homework. And one of the professors kept going to him, Why aren't you doing his, your homework? Why aren't you turning in your papers? You're a smart guy. What's going on? He'd gotten caught by pornography. <laughs> he basically ended up confessing. Pornography had become such a part of my life, I couldn't even take time to do my homework. I remember a guy in seminary that uh, in our preaching class, he was preaching on the love of God and never once smiled. In fact, he yelled at us about the love of God the entire sermon. And the teacher said, What's going on with you? <laughs> You'd think that you should smile at least once while you're preaching on the love of God. Come to find out a couple of weeks later, he had been having an, uh, a relationship with one of the teen girls in his, uh, in his youth group that he was uh, leading. And then I understood. Is he a Christian? Certainly not acting like it, but it wasn't for me to try and figure that out. The question is, would he repent? The question for anybody caught in sin, for anyone who is not experiencing that freedom indeed that Christ is talking about here in verse 36. The question is, will you repent? Will you turn to the Lord Jesus? Because He promises freedom indeed for His children. Also, everyone set free by Christ will be a child of God forever. Verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. How can it be any clearer? If you are a child of God, if you have been set free from your sins by Jesus Christ, you are free indeed and you are a child of God forever. Next, everyone set free by Christ will know the truth. We just read it, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth that you know going back to an earlier point, is not just head knowledge. It's intimate 
relational knowledge with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of grace and truth. And this truth is found in His Word. You can't say that I love Jesus the truth without also loving His Word. And I think that when He talks about knowing the truth, I think He means that you will hunger and thirst after it. That you will eat it as pure spiritual milk of the Word. That you will feast upon it. I think that's what He means by knowing the truth. You will know it deeply inside you because you're feasting on God's Word because you want to know your Savior, Jesus Christ. Next, verses 26 and 27, Everyone set free by Christ will know the Father. He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been talking to them about the Father. I just noticed that Christians get uh, sidetracked by, well, focusing only on Jesus and forgetting about the Father, or focusing on the Holy Spirit and forgetting about Jesus and the Father, and, and putting a competition between the three persons of the Trinity. That's pointless. Jesus came here to earth to magnify the Father. Jesus came here to earth and died on the cross and rose from the grave to do the will of the Father. Jesus came and saved us to bring us to the Father. The Holy Spirit was poured out and He works to draw us to Christ to bring us to the Father. The Holy Spirit works in us and, and keeps us so that we will be preserved in our faith for the Father. There's no competition between the persons of the Trinity. And then lastly, everyone set free by Christ will live. Verses 21 and 24, basically looking at the opposite of that most horrible of statements. That you will die in your sins. He's saying, I'm going away, you will seek me, you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. But the opposite is just as true. The unstated opposite is that you believe in me, Jesus says. You trust yourself to Him. You will live. And the life He's talking about is not just life after this life. He's saying you will live now. That life will abundantly be infused into your soul. Going back a couple of weeks ago, you will be a tree of life. In Jesus Christ. I've tried to be as plain spoken as I could be. Have you heard? Have you listened? Have you understood? Has God made His Word plain to you? Has He applied it to your heart? If you miss Jesus Christ, if you miss everything, if you have Jesus Christ, 
You have freedom indeed. You have a relationship with the Father. You have life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray again. Make Your Word plain to our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.